Welcome to the Modern Elder Woman Podcast. We are here today to start a conversation, to assemble resources, and to build a community. This podcast is for empowered women in midlife and beyond who are preparing for or in the midst of a powerful third age. My name is Amy A. Palmer. I am your host and facilitator for our conversations. All women are welcome here. And we will be highlighting and spotlighting all the women over 45 who are living an untraditional lifestyle, whom I like to call blueprint breakers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Would love to hear from you, love to hear your feedback, ideas, suggestions, or if you'd like to be part of a future episode, you can reach me via email at amy at amyapalmer.com. Today's topic, Thriving After Infertility, is a very personal, delicate, private topic. Uh, And as a result of that, we don't really discuss it all that much or very openly. Uh, Lana Manikowski is committed to changing that. Uh, We have a very open, honest, vulnerable conversation where she shares her experience with IVF. She had an unsuccessful IVF journey. So she shares her experiences through that, how she navigated it. And then on the other side of it, when you realize that your dream of motherhood is not going to come to fruition in the way that you thought that it would, you are faced with uh, an opportunity where you really need to reimagine, you know, so what is my life going to be about? Who am I? What, I'm, what am I going to do from here? So it's really interesting to hear Lana's path and journey. She has dedicated herself now. She's a certified coach. She helps other women who are struggling with uh, the childless experience due to uh, infertility. And she also is the host of the So Now What podcast. I put the links uh, to everything in the show notes so that you can connect with Lana. But stay tuned for this very, very honest and open and educational and inspiring story uh, from Lana Manikowski. Lana, thank you so much for um, meeting with us today and being open to having this conversation. I've really been looking forward to it. I know that your journey, uh, like many of ours, it's a very personal journey, you know, wanting and desiring to be a mother. Uh, it's very, very personal, especially when it doesn't work out as we'd hoped. So I'm, I'd be curious, do you mind sharing uh, your journey with us? Not at all. I feel so grateful that I'm at a space where I can actually talk about it and be in a forum where people have a desire to learn more about it. So I appreciate you inviting me on your podcast today and giving me an opportunity to share my story because it every time I tell it, I feel like I'm a bit more healed from it. And it's such a much more empowering space to be in now than I was for so long. So I'll tell you first, um, I got married, I was 35 and I, I guess leading up to that, I 
always knew I wanted to be a mom. I knew I wanted to get married, but they weren't like things that were top on my priority list. I had a lot of um, career goals. I had a lot of just personal interest goals, travel, friends, college, you know, just city living, like all these things that um, I guess I didn't necessarily prioritize over them, but my, I felt like my life just was flowing in that direction. And then I met my husband and we got married. I was 35 and you go through the first initial, I guess, newlywed bliss, I guess maybe Mm -hmm. some people might call it. And then Mm -hmm. at 37, one of my girlfriends who has infertility and went through IVF asked me, I remember I was standing in the grocery aisle looking at crackers. I just remember this so vividly. And she said, have you thought about going to see a doctor if you're interested in becoming a mom? And I was like, you think I need to? And she said, well, you know, they say that if you try for six months and you haven't, um, gotten pregnant that you should go get a workup. And I, you know, honestly, looking back on it, I was so uneducated mm-hmm. and I just was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't even know those were statistics. I just always thought if I had a regular period and I didn't have any issues, you know, that were diagnosed, I could just probably get pregnant whenever I wanted to. <laughs> and w- were you, were you intentionally trying at that point or were you just not, not trying or? I guess I wasn't really like doing like timed method or checking and doing basal temperatures, like nothing. It was just sort of like, mm-hmm. if I got pregnant, you know, what we happens. were sexually active right. and, you know, no protection. And I just, you know, again, I, right. I was so uneducated to all the things that I feel like the now, who you know, that I live in, I'm like, gosh, you know, there's so much information out there that people just aren't offered. Right. And it's no wonder there's so many women who end up in this predicament of not being able to have kids and because no one talks about it to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at 37, I finally went for workup and I got diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, I almost wanted to have a diagnosis of some sort because to be considered unexplained is like, yeah, here I am this anomaly that no one can really figure out. And I never had an answer of why. And so then my journey started and we went through IUIs. Um, I think I did seven IUIs and just the hopes that, you know, maybe it would work that way. And Mm -hmm. then we went on to IVF and, went through two rounds. I live in Chicago. So we went through two rounds here at a really great university, you know, well-known institution. So I felt like I had good care. And then at the end of our two rounds, they basically, you know, were like, you're not responding very well, take a break, think about things. And so I took this break and it was another friend who then nudged me about two and a half years later, she had gone on to Colorado for treatment to a a big facility out in Colorado. And she's like, if you're thinking about doing it, you should really just come out to Colorado. It's totally different vibe. When you get there, there's so much Zen, all this relaxation energy. And, you know, of course, Colorado, like I'm a mountains person. So I'm like, okay, well, that sounds good. And so we decided that we would try it again. And, mm-hmm. you know, both times it's interesting. Cause I was kind of like on the fence about whether I really was 
even knowing what I was getting into, even though I had mm-hmm. gone through IVF in Chicago, then going here, I was, you know, sort of kind of approaching it in this very hopeful way that there was like this new, this new way of, um, approaching it. It was outside of home. I didn't have my work stresses. Cause I didn't tell anyone at work. I was going through IVF cause I had a lot of shame about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, they're going to think something's wrong with me. So I kept it a secret, which added more stress because then I was sneaking around to doctor's appointments and trying to find excuses for why I wasn't, you know, at work on time or something else was going on and I wasn't there. So when we went to Colorado, it was, um, it was definitely a different experience and they tried different things, different. Um, my protocols were much different. I remember being on Viagra for one of my protocols and, you know, just, you know, stuff that I was like totally open to. I trusted Uh the system and then sort of the same story that I had in Chicago. I just was having very low response. So they were doing all these, you know, stimulations and I would maybe in a retrieval come up with four eggs and, I only ever had one that made it past five days to then freeze. And that Mm -hmm. was for my first round in Colorado, went Mm -hmm. on to a second round that got canceled, um, because of low response. And then we tried one more time and I was able to go through another retrieval and there was nothing that, um, that they retrieved that survived past the five days. And then they decided to free, um, thaw the one frozen embryo. Cause you know, it was kind of like, they were honest with me and like, you're not having good response. Like we could certainly put you through another round, but we just don't think, you know, it's probably in your best interest, which I appreciated, but I had hope in my little one embryo that was frozen. And then they called with the news that when they thought it, it had chromosomal abnormalities and would never be viable for implantation. Mm. Viable. That was, um, kind of like a long story, but you know, I think we all have, um, we all have our long stories and I feel really like proud now of who I was going through it. I wasn't always proud of the, of the story that I told. And yeah, so that's why I, I really look for any opportunity I can to tell my story. As that, yes, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. As you were going through everything again in Colorado, were you were you still optimistic? Like, were you still sort of thinking this is going to end the way you hoped or were the doubts starting to to creep in at that point? I'm just curious a little bit about the emotional side. Yeah. You know, the, the emotion, um, was high. I would say yes, but I still had faith that like the science was going to figure it out. I, I work in the medical field. So I kind of like, I'm one of these like trust in science. And I don't know, I'm sure at some point somebody told me the stats were, you know, in the single digits for somebody, cause I was in my forties going through my, you know, when I was in Colorado, I'm sure Mm -hmm. that somebody probably shared those stats, but also the facility doing like their workup, they only accepted people that they thought had you know, in air quotes, you can't see my fingers, but like they only accept people that they think have a good chance. Cause obviously they have certain, certain statistics that what they want to achieve as far as their success rate. So their, um, their acceptance of me as a patient kind of almost gave me this hope that it was probably going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Cause if I wasn't 
a decent candidate, they probably would have told me not to even pursue treatment. So that was kind of where my mind was. And, um, but emotionally like going through it and the every day of, I remember going for my monitoring appointments, I would do those here in Chicago. And then when I got to a certain point in my cycle, they would say, okay, fly out. And then I'd fly out to Colorado and then maybe stay six or eight days for, you know, the remainder of my stem cycle and then a retrieval and then fly home. So I remember being in Chicago and just like praying that there would be like a count that they would see something when I would, you know, have my ultrasound and just feeling so attached to my self-worth by how many, you know, little dots I saw on the screen when they would be, when they would be doing their, you know, their Wanda up in there. And so it was, um, yeah, it was, it was very much like ebbs and flows and, but I really had like hope the whole time. Right. Right. And how long was your journey from the time you got tested to the time you decided? Seven years. Wow. But I wasn't actively pursuing that's like including my wait time, which I Uh consider part of my journey because there was this holding pattern. I I felt like my life for seven years was just in a holding pattern and Mm -hmm. it was, I didn't want to commit to vacations or girls trips or, um, taking on a new job opportunity or anything like that. Cause I was like, well, I don't know where I'll be. Like, what if I'm a mom by then? What if I'm pregnant? We did end up buying in 2015, we bought a single family home and it had, um, four bedrooms, you know, and I, in my mind, I was like, okay, well, we need to have something. So when we have kids, so it was kind of like the house that I thought, I'd bring my, my children home too. And, um, so we kind of plan. that was probably the only thing that I, we really did. That was like a major planning thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but -hmm. for seven years, it was just sort of this waiting game where I felt like I didn't really have control over my life. Right. Right. And what, what did, or what does the grieving process look like for you um, at the end of that journey? Well, a lot of it was a lot of disassociation from people in my family, friends. Um, I very much became, I see now like, um, just sort of this figure that would like show up to events and felt like I had to act like everything was okay because well, a people either didn't know my story, you know, I wasn't at a point where a lot of people even knew I was going through treatments uh, just, you know, kind of my core group of people did, but I didn't talk about it openly. So I'd go to these events and try to act like I was so together. And, you know, I just would show up, like just trying to act like things were great. And then I remember coming home and just feeling exhausted Mm. because I, I felt like I was this actor in my life. Mm -hmm. So the grieving was very much kind of like this act that I was okay. And through that act, I wasn't connecting with people because I just didn't have the energy to keep that up all the time. So my family, I would just sort of show up at family events, but I wasn't really engaged. Um, at work, I felt like I thought I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was in this holding pattern because I assumed I would become a mom and I would either go part-time to work or take some time off and raise my family for a while and then go back to work later. So here I was in my job and just trying to be like, 
you know, is this really what all I have? Cause that's all mm-hmm. I really felt like defined me was what I did for professional work. And right. then I would, yeah. So like grieving meant that all I did was just really work all the time and kind of disconnect with people around me. Do you feel like you're still grieving or do you feel like you're on the other side of it? I think there's moments of grief. Yeah. I recently was in a grocery store waiting at the deli counter and this mom and her baby, you know, her baby was in a carriage and she was playing this little piggy with her, you know, baby's feet. And I found myself like get really emotional watching that and just, you know, not having that connection to a little being. And, um, so I guess I consider that grief, but I also consider those moments. Like I welcome the grief a little bit because there's just something about knowing like I'm human and feeling those emotions for me that I, they don't scare me as much. I think since going through coaching and, and being a coach myself, I, I almost like in not, I don't want to say enjoy, but I welcome those moments because it helps me see like how far I've come. Mm. Too. So the grief, I think for me, I think that there's always going to be moments and yeah. tinges of grief that come with me and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has the experience impacted your marriage? Mm. Yeah. You know, it, when we first found out we couldn't, um, have children, it was, I questioned it a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. A lot of, um, I think a lot of the selection, you know, goes like your vibe with someone and whether you're, you know, attracted to somebody, but a lot of it is, do they have the qualities of somebody that is going to be a good dad or how do they treat their mom and, you know, how do you know how they are with family and all that stuff. Because to me, that was a lot of it defined, like what I thought he would be like as a dad. And so I questioned a lot, whether our marriage was going to be enough Mm -hmm. and whether we'd have enough to talk about, because I do remember when I was still going through my hardcore grieving, um, before coaching and, and really like absorbing what it was that was going on. I remember like sitting at dinner and feeling like we had nothing to talk about. And I was like, gosh, how am I going to make it through another 50 years with this guy that all, all we would talk about was like, how was your day at work? Really no interesting conversation and what's for dinner. And mm-hmm. I, our relationship has changed so much um, since I have done work and I think he's ab- absorbed some of what I've done too, just cause he hears me <laughs> talking about it all the time, uh-huh. but, um, our relationship is so much stronger and truly fulfilling. And I say that with like the most honest heart that our, I truly believe that if I hadn't gone through the, or we, cause it wasn't just me, he went through it with me, but if we hadn't gone through this journey of discovering this path and going through the treatments and, and the heartbreak that we went through, I I truly don't believe that our relationship would be what it is today. Like, I think it really made us, um, take time to appreciate the love that we have for each other and the desire that we have to grow together. And Mm -hmm. not everyone has that. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that the whole experience can be extremely stressful. So not only on you and uh, and on your husband separately as individuals, but on the relationship. And you know, you talked about your grieving process. I'm sure he had to. He probably went through his own form of grief. Uh, so it's good to hear that you 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 put in the work and it, it's coming to a good yeah. place. What sort of got you over that? hump how how did you turn it around well I just I thought about really like who he was as a person and how much of like he was just so solid when I was going through this and I know there were times I was probably horrendous to be around and so emotional and I never I see now like really considered what he was feeling and the grief that he was feeling it was everything was kind of me, me, me. Cause I think also too, I felt very guilty that because of me, he couldn't become a mom. And so, um, I judged myself a lot for that. And then, you know, there was just so much. And I just realized that this is the person that I married first and foremost for who he is like granularly and just who he stands for as a human and just, um, how he's in the medical field and just how he treats his patients and the, and the care that he gives the patients that he works with and how he works with his staff and his colleagues. And just what a great person I had. And I, I decided like, I want to figure out how we can make this work. And, um, he doesn't know he, I mean, he probably, if he listened to this podcast, would be like, Oh man, I didn't even know she was feeling all this. <laughs> I didn't know you were thinking I, you about know. it. <laughs> I guess there's part of me that feels bad that I was questioning of my marriage. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think you know, it's it natural though. I think, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I just decided like, I'm going to figure out how we can make this relationship seem like fun again. And mm-hmm. if we can't be parents, like what can be our definition of like what our purpose is together. Right. And so right. I, I really try to like, create like reasons for us to go have fun. And he does too. On a random Saturday, like I made a reservation at this like restaurant. We live in Chicago, as I said. So there's this like fun restaurant and this like cute little setting. And I was like, Hey, it was, I made a reservation for us on Saturday at 11 to go to brunch. And another night, I remember, you know, we have all this wedding China. I don't know if people register for, you know, everyday dishes and like fine China anymore when they get married. But, you know, my mom was like, oh, everyone needs fine China. <laughs> so I have this China that's collecting dust. So a couple of weeks ago, I made like a nice dinner and I set it with like our nice China and the glassware. And I was like, you know, we bought, we picked this out together for our mm-hmm. wedding and we never use this stuff. So I, you know, just like little things like that. Right. Right. Making those moments together. And just like when I think about him, like he sent me a a text today and all it said was love you. (laughs) And just like small little things like that. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just like taking time and deciding what you want to explore together. Right. Right. How about the, the rest of the relationships in your, in your life, family, friends, how, how has this journey affected those relationships? I think, um, going through infertility has allowed me to understand like what I've 
value and what I crave in a relationship, Mm -hmm. like in a friendship and, um, family ties, things like that. So I think first of all, telling my story publicly was really a relief to me. Like I said earlier, where I felt like I was kind of this actor. And so now I feel like the cat's out of the bag and Mm -hmm. people like know what I went through. Cause I would show up to events and I'd maybe people knew I was going through infertility. I'm sure that there was people in the family that, you know, shared with others, or if I went to, um, my family's Serbian. So if we went to like an ethnic event and I ran into like friends, I'd always, or, you know, family friends, I'd always be like, I wonder if they think like Jack and I have like marital troubles. And I'd show up to these things, like wondering what everyone thought, like if something was wrong with me, or if I was just one of these women who's so career oriented and doesn't want kids. Like I, i I'd show up to these events, like wondering, like I didn't fit in and that whether people were judging me the whole time. And Mm -hmm. so once I told my story publicly, it was just like really easy. And I was like, you know what, they can form their opinion about whether I could become a mom or not. You know, that's not my, not my fear anymore. What they think about my story, because I just feel like so relieved to tell the truth of my story. So I feel like for me, it's made it easier to be social with people. And I realize, you know, it's not like they want to talk about it all the time. So it's not really like triggering. And if they do, like, I don't shun them for being curious, you know, like I'll be like truly honest. Cause I just, maybe they need to know, like, maybe they're at a point where they're not ready to talk about it. And they're me 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they are asking questions, you know, for a friend, but you know, there, I could like help someone. So I feel like my energy is just so much more gravitating. And a lot of people have told me that. And it's interesting because on several occasions in the last year, I've had people tell me you are glowing. You are just like, when we're around, you're just glowing. And then I was like, when do you hear you're glowing when you're pregnant, right? Everyone's like, oh, you've got the pregnancy glow. And here I've like never been even close to being pregnant. And people tell me all the time that I'm glowing. So I think there's just this radiance within me that people pick up on. And so I find myself just loving people more. And when I'm engaged Mm -hmm. in conversations, I'm like truly interested in what they have to say, because I'm not wondering what they're thinking about me. Right, right. What it sounds like in listening to you, it seems like as you went through your own healing, that the, the shame started to lift, it started to dis, you know, like you, you were able to sort of release that shame once you started like sharing your story more and more. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense that you would, that you would start to glow and yeah. be, be just a little bit more like open and magnetic and everything else. Yeah. And I think I also, you knowing that I'm not going to have kids and, you know, majority of my friends do, Mm -hmm. um, I have one sister, she's got two awesome kids. We're like super close. We live 20 minutes from each other. So I hang with them and see them. So I get like my kid fixed through them. But, um, I also, I just, I really feel like this energy has allowed me to just be more me and get more curious about 
you know, who I am and what I'm interested in. And when I meet someone, you know how you meet someone and they're like, oh, we should get together sometime. Like I do that stuff now and I take mm-hmm. them up. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And then I call and I follow up because right. if you want to create more connection in your life because you feel disconnected that you don't have what everyone else has, or you don't have the commonalities with people that you used to have commonalities with, it's just, it's okay to like call someone and say, Hey, you want to meet for a drink or, right. you know, let's go to the dog park. You know, I'm a dog mom. So mm-hmm. let's go out with our dogs or a painting party. I, I've just got to a point where it's, I don't think it's weird anymore to try to find new friends too. Right. Cause That's I think great. a lot of us crave that. So absolutely. And, you know, sometimes the connections get tough because everybody's on a different path and just their day, just the day-to-day logistics of their lives can be different, um, you know, with, with other women who, who have children or, you know, that sort of thing. So that, that can cause challenges as well. Um, yeah, I've, I've been following you for a while, Lana, and I see the, um, the, the work that you've been doing and your, your coaching and how you're serving uh, women. And, and so I'm, I'm curious how, how, what, what did it take to get to the point where you were really having sort of this future focused approach that you have now? Well, it was my personal journey through weight gain. Um, I, I, if you would have told me that I would become a certified life coach, like three years ago, I would have told you, I would have laughed, but, um, I had gained a lot of weight after infertility treatments and I was on weight watchers. I tried the whole 30, you know, all these, you know, gimmicky diets and I'd lose the weight. And then the minute I'd lose my weight, I'd be like, Oh, I could have that cupcake again, or, Oh, I could do this. And then, um, I'd listen to this woman's podcast. Her name is Corinne Crabtree. So if anyone's listening, no BS women are the best. And she just made a lot of sense to me when it came to why I was eating. And then as I listened to her more and then became a member of, um, of her weight loss, uh, community, she teaches more than just weight loss. She really teaches how to listen to what you're thinking and the story that you're telling yourself. And then it started to really make me more aware of what I was believing about myself and my journey Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. I was making being childless mean and having infertility and the failure of it that we so associate with, um, not being able to get pregnant. And I started to realize how much it could impact my life in more than just the weight. And so I started paying attention to the tools that she taught in playing you know, playing them out, you know, greater into like what I was believing again, you know, about where I could be in the future and future self, like all this stuff, like no one ever talked about with me. I was just, I don't know, I guess living maybe in this little box, but I don't know, maybe people just don't know about the stuff that you and I talk about as much as we do, but you know, amen for podcasts like yours, because people can learn. So, um, yeah, I, I was really just drawn to it and saw the shift in me. And I became very, um, I don't know, I guess convicted to let other women know that they can drop the story that they're telling themselves because it's just such a a liberation that you have. And you're 
the only one who can do it or not do it for yourself. And if you just know that it's out there, like it's just so easy. Yeah. And so that's when I started, yeah, just deciding, like I wanted, I wanted to be somebody else than just Mm -hmm. this person who was constantly feeling like they weren't enough and didn't fit in and had shame and, and wasn't connecting with new people or the people that had historically been in my life. So that's where like the future focus stuff came on. And I decided over the, um, through Corinne, uh, it motivated me to become a life coach and do this for women like me who are childless after IVF. So, yeah. Yeah. It was so funny to find out when we last talked, because Corinne is also my mentor. I'm also an OBS woman. <laughs> I know and it's it, crazy. <laughs> in, in previous episodes, I I have shared you know, with, with the listeners about the four ends. And I, you know, oh. I told, I've, I've told everybody about Corinne and the, the thought work and, and really addressing thoughts is huge. So I know how it's impacted me and, and, it, and I love hearing how it impacted you on your journey yeah, as, as well. I know. So I tell people, you just, you know, there's so much to learn. And if you yeah. just go out and seek, I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be to become a life coach or, a weight loss coach or whatever, but just to like learn something new, you just don't know where it's going to spark like something mm-hmm. else in your life. Right. So take me, uh, take me through the, the, the journey then of, okay, you decide to, to launch a podcast, to launch mm-hmm. a coaching business. Tell, tell me about that. Um, and like who you serve all, all of all the things. Okay. <laughs> well, my podcast, um, that was something that came up I was go when I was going through my coach certification, um, mm-hmm. we had to get a certain amount of hours of coaching. And I was talking to somebody who had a podcast on real estate, like totally different. And she was, you know, somebody I was coaching to get my clinical hours in, or my coaching hours. in. and she said, you know, you really need to tell your story. Like people need to know that like people like you exist. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I will one day. And she's like, I have a podcast and, you know, I do it myself, you know, she was telling me all about it. She's like, you really need to start a podcast. And I remember it was Labor Day weekend. It was like the Friday of Labor Day. So we had this like three day weekend ahead of us. And I was like, you know what, damn it. I'm launching a podcast. So by Monday I was, I made a commitment to her. I was like, okay, if I have any questions, can I call you over the weekend? But I am going to figure this out and I am going to tell my story on a podcast. And so it's super janky. My first episode, sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, oh, the sound quality, you know, now that I'm like 70 episodes in, Uh but, um, I'm super proud of it. And it was really like the, you know, I told my story just publicly for the first time of like what I went through and the things that I was believing and the heartache that I carried around for my in-laws not being able to become grandparents and my husband not being able to become a dad and me having fear that I was going to die old alone in a nursing home, you know, all these things that had just been looming in my mind. So yeah, that's how the podcast started. And, um, it comes out, they're short. My podcasts are like 10 to 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and, um, they come out weekly and then the coaching people started listening to the podcast and, started reaching out and telling me like how much they appreciated hearing my story that they never heard anyone 
talk about things the way that I did and how it gave them hope. And, um, I was going, you know, to, I knew that I wanted to do coaching, but I wasn't exactly sure that there would be the right, um, people out there looking for it. I just didn't think that there would be masses enough of people, I guess. So uh-huh. my coaching certification is in general life coaching, but then my subspecialty is for women who went through fertility treatments and weren't able to become moms. So, and when I say not able to become moms, um, the option was given to me to adopt or get an egg donor. Cause I know a lot of people think that you can always adopt is, you know, of course it's a great option for some people, but that just wasn't the thing that my husband and I decided on. And then the egg donor was just never something really of interest. So, um, yeah, it's for women who know that they're going to move forward with their future, not pursuing any of those options. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I do and who I serve. (laughs) And you have, um, you have a class coming up too, that I think that I, that I saw recently, or it's coming up in a couple of weeks, right? It starts in February. It's a 12 week class. It's called thrive after infertility. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's for women that are craving connection. So it's, I keep my groups small and we meet weekly over zoom and really create amazing friendships and work together. So, um, yes, the next one starts in June. I have an application process just because I want to make sure that the people that what they're, what people are searching for aligns with what I can offer them. Cause I don't right. want to just, um, build false hope or promises, right. um, to people. So there's an application, um, on my website that people can fill out. And I'd usually do like a quick, you know, zoom interview and just make sure we vibe well together. And yeah, so that starts in February. Great. I'll make sure I'll put links to all of this in the, in the show notes. So people Great. can be sure to, to find you. Um, uh, b- before we go though, there's a couple, couple more things I'm curious about uh, around friendships. Cause you're going to be talking about that. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how it can be challenging because women are all on different paths. And, and that's why a lot of times we lose our connections. We lose our friendships. And I, I'm curious for you, did, have you found, does it cause friction between women who, who have children or women who are child-free by choice or childless for any other reason other than IVF and infertility? Like, have you, have you experienced any friction in those scenarios? You know, actually I haven't. If anything, I feel like I really connect with women who are child-free. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually on a, a podcast. Um, I would think it's called we're, you're not kidding or we're not kidding. Um, it's a woman named Anna Nicholson, who's child free by choice. Mm-hmm. And she invited me on her podcast and we had so many things in alignment. I mean, right. I think whether you choose to become a mom or not to, there's still a lot of question of, did I make the right decision? Um, Mm -hmm. same for me, did I make a right decision for not adopting or not pursuing more options? Um, and I don't, I don't see child-free people as like children haters. I think a lot of Mm -hmm. people have that misconception. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, they're just maybe more in tune with what it was that they wanted. And I don't, yeah, I don't have any friction or Mm -hmm. I haven't gotten, um, any like 
bad vibes from people like reaching out or anything like that. So if anything, I feel like I'm much more in alignment with people who are child-free. Right. And do you, do you have friends who, uh, close friends who have children? I do. Yes. Um, I didn't address that. You asked me that. So I do all of my friend group one, um, my one friend is a foster mom of two girls. Mm -hmm. Um, my other friend is a single mom. She didn't meet someone that, um, you know, she necessarily wanted to marry, but wanted to be a mom. So she decided to get pregnant and she's loving being a single mom. Mm -hmm. And then my other friend, um, has twins through IVF and a son, and we have like the best time. Mm -hmm. We really do. And, you know, I, I think back to things like I wasn't super active in their kids' lives and I still am not. And I sometimes feel like I'm not a good friend because I, I don't really like go bring birthday presents for their kids. Or sometimes I'll notice like we're out and I don't even ask about their kids. And I, it's not necessarily on purpose. I think it's because I'm more focused on like, they're my friend for who they are, like right. who we are together. Right. And we still hang out. So clearly it doesn't bother them. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I'm super blessed and I don't know if it's because they're just really good humans or if it's my, the way I look at like what friendships are about. And, um, yeah, sometimes I'll ask about their kids, but it's just not like a basis of conversation and maybe there's not a big element. It's not a big element of the friendship. Yeah. I I would think for, I would think for a lot of mothers, not all mothers, but I would think for a lot of mothers that that would be a relief. Like it would be good to have people in your life close to you outside, uh, like separate from, uh, from the kids. And if you, Um, I guess, um, you know, the way that I see it is if you don't have anything to talk about other than their kids, then maybe that's just really not like a friendship. Right. Like we have so much stuff to talk about when my girls and I are out, you know, we, you, we're like sitting at a table, you know, at a brunch and they're like, okay, brunch is over ladies. You gotta leave mm-hmm. because our friendships are not just about whether they have kids or not. So, mm. yeah. So okay. I guess it's maybe just the quality of the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I know I went through a season where I, I sort of had to distance myself a little bit from some friends and some family members with kids. Cause I just wasn't in a place to embrace that part of yeah. them. I'm, I'm not in that place now, but, yeah. um, it's interesting to hear how different, how people navigate it. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I didn't go to some of their kids first birthday party, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I, I knew my limits, but they also mm-hmm. didn't I mean, they never made me or told me that they were mad at me for that. Right. So I think I did what was right for me and they respected that. Great. What do you wish the world knew about women who are childless, not by choice due to infertility? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big (laughs) question. I guess, um, I think that they're not broken. Mm -hmm. I, um, a lot of I think a lot of the things that I still work on personally, when I coach myself and work with my own coach is the pity that people offer me. So when I tell them that I'm not a mom or, you know, went through IVF and didn't work out for us, I've always been really uncomfortable with like the pity they feel. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I would want people to know that women 
who are childless after infertility go on to be super amazing women. And this is just a small, you know, blip on the radar when you look at the magnitude of your life. And it doesn't always feel like it's going to be a small blip on the radar. Um, but I really think like women have such an ability. And I see this now, like if, if I hadn't gone through this journey, I don't think that I would have come to know the greatness that I really have. And, you know, of course this is me on one side of it, but I just, I really truly feel like if I became a mom and did, you know, what I thought I was, you know, destined to do of raised children, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to get to know the true meaning of who I am and what challenges me and what excites me and what forces me forward, um, in my life. So I, I just feel that women really need to, or others need to know that women with infertility who are childless after their IVF fails, they're just like going to thrive and just really be energized and like life could be great. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I hope I answered your question. I get you really, did. Uh, you I did. Get, I know. I, I know it was a big one. It was a big question. <laughs> yeah. Do, but just you, like that pity, like I just, yeah, that everyone assumes. And I, I want to be like, you don't know. Like when right. someone's like, Oh, you know, you tell me you're not a kid and, and they put their hand on their chest and, and they lower their voice and they're like, I'm so sorry. Right. And it's like, you don't have to be sorry. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, and I'm not judging them for it. They just don't know how amazing life could truly feel. Even if you're not a mom. Right. Right. And it's like, I almost feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. Like not in a, like not in a cynical way, but it's like, right. yeah, I know because that's their pinnacle of what their life is. Well, your view and your perspective has been broken open. Like, you, you yes. know, you, you've been, you know, you, you, one door closed and several other doors opened and you've just yes. looked, you're looking at, you know, a wider scope of opportunities there. Um, so I, I, I get what you're saying with that. Yeah. Sure. And I just, I, I think, I mean, I truly never really knew much about life coaching, to be quite honest with you. I just, I thought it was somebody who had this booklet and they would tell you like what you need to do to live your life. And I'd always just sort of be like, "Eh, no, thanks. And, um, had I not had coaching and found Corinne through my weight gain, I, I don't know that I would be where I am today. Like Mm. I really truly believe in the power of knowing what you like the story you're telling yourself and just like you mentioned the four ends, like totally like just even noticing what it is you're thinking can make a magnitude of impact. You don't even have to worry about the next three ends. I mean, just mm-hmm. that one end of mm-hmm. noticing is just so powerful. Yeah. Agree. Any other thoughts, recommendations that you might have for women who are, who might be struggling right now because of their childless situation? Well, I think a lot of women think that they're too broken, um, or that their story is too sad, uh, to get better. And that this has got to be their new normal. And it's just, it's false. I just want to say like, just don't believe that, that little thought that's floating around in your brain that you're too far gone Mm -hmm. because there is just 
so much greatness and so much available to you, even though motherhood is not going to be part of your journey. So that's what I, I just, I just want to thank you, Lana. You were just, just, just so open and vulnerable and shining light on a topic that so many people shy away from discussing. And I, I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing and the women that you're impacting. Uh, I mean, that that's huge. So thank, thank you. you. And thank I you really much. appreciate you welcoming me on your podcast. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Modern Elder Woman podcast, Thriving After Infertility. And a very special thanks to today's guest, Lana Manikowski. Thank you for sharing this episode with any friend that you have that may benefit from this topic. And please join us in our Facebook group, the Modern Elder Woman Podcast on Facebook, where you can join in on the conversation. I'd really love to hear what sorts of topics, uh, guest ideas, what would you like to see and hear at the Modern Elder Woman? So join us on Facebook. And if you have any insights, information, suggestions, feedback, you can reach out to me directly, amy at amyapalmer.com. Please remember to go in and rate and review and download the podcast so we can continue to spread the word and keep on breaking those blueprints.